So that's the text that we're going to be in this morning, John chapter 1, what our brother just read to us. I'm sure you've had a similar situation to what I'm about to describe. We wanted to take our kids to a particular theme park when they were young. But in order to do this, you either had to take out a home loan or you had to figure out a way to save money. So a card came out. And we're never one to encourage debt or credit cards. We try to live as debt-free as we possibly can. But a card came out that said, you know what? If you will uh, take our card and spend so much money, we'll give you dollars that you can use in the theme park. And we just thought that was the greatest thing in the whole world. We did this for years knowing that one day the rite of passage would come and we could afford to do it and we would take our kids to this, this so-called magical place. Um, and and it, people learned about this card and naturally they would say, hey, hey, what are you doing? Would you tell me about that again? And so we didn't get a commission. We weren't working for the company. But we would just gladly tell people about this card. And our enthusiasm caught on. And other parents who were trying to do the same thing would say, can you tell me what you're doing again? And so we did. We just naturally talked about something that we loved. Now, the irony in all that, just to give you the rest of the story, is no matter how much money you save, they're still going to get you when you go there. Ricky Rat's going to get his money, and when you're walking out the door, he's going to be like, see you real soon while he takes your wallet. He is slick. But um, we, we had that, that joy of just saving up to try to go there, try to get there. People saw that enthusiasm, and they said, okay, what are you doing? And we would just share. You all have something very similar in your life. Maybe it's something simple like essential oils. Please don't come talk to me after this, all right? Or, or, or maybe it's um, a product that you like. Case in point, you go to Facebook. These people are not getting paid for this. They're not on commission. It's not their job. They're going to tell you the restaurants that they love, what they ate yesterday for breakfast. Truthfully, you don't care. But there's something about it. In order to make the joy complete for us, we have to share. There's something about sharing. The same idea is when people all get together and wear the same jersey and go to the same game, they're sharing. Because joy is not complete until you are able to share it with other people. That's half the fun. And so anything we love, anything that we've been touched by, anything that blesses us or encourages us, whether it's a credit card or essential oils or a restaurant or a ball team, we're going to just naturally share it with other people. But here's the rub when it comes to Christianity. In Christianity, we're supposed to be sharing the most important thing that ever happened to us, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet, if you talk to a majority of Christians, they will tell you when it comes to the word testimony, when it comes to the idea of witnessing, when it comes to the concept of sharing the gospel, that is the last thing many Christians want to deal with. We're afraid of it. We don't know how to do it. We don't want to be guilted into it. And some of you are already like, where is the nearest exit? Because I don't want to sit here for the next few minutes and this pastor guilt me into sharing something that I'm not comfortable sharing and I don't really know how to do it. Well, let me just tell you that we share what we love, okay? We do. We just naturally share what we love. We don't have to get paid for it. 
We don't get commissions. If we love it, we tell other people about it. And the greatest thing that's happened to those of us who profess to be Christians is that Jesus has saved our soul. And naturally, we should want to testify about that. God has allowed us the opportunity, the joy, to be able to share our faith. He doesn't need us, but some reason in his economy, he has made it to where we are to testify about our faith. So if you're one of those people today on the spectrum where you say, boy, I really hate sharing my faith. I, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I don't do it. Well, I want to give you encouragement and hope. If you're one of those people on the spectrum that you say, man, I share my faith all the time. Equally, I want to give you encouragement and hope. Every believer, there is encouragement and hope as we talk about this idea of being a witness. Now, in our text, we've looked at already, as Clyde read to us those passages, we looked at four days in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus. Four days. Every paragraph that you see there, starting in verse 19, is a day. So 19 says, and this is the testimony, that's day one. The next day is verse 29. The next day, Jesus, he saw Jesus coming toward him. Then you go to verse 35. The next day, you go to verse 43. The next day, I mean, there it is, four days. In four days, there is one theme that dominates these four days and all of this scripture that we have read together, and it is this, testimony. Testimony. You go back to chapter 1, verse 19, and there is the word that begins the four days. This is the testimony of John. Testimony. And what happens over the next four days is John shares... John points, John directs the testimony that he has in Christ to other people around him. He does it to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He does it to those disciples that are following him. He does it to the crowd. He does it to Nathaniel and others who are close by watching and listening. It's all about testimony. So today, the title of the message is, Can I Get a Witness? Because what we see in this text is how we can and should rightfully, joyfully, gladly share what is most important to us with other people. So I want to just encourage you on how to become a living testimony. Are you ready to do that? All right, number one, how to become a living testimony what you see in John's testimony and John's example, which dominates this whole text, is first off, we have to understand when it comes to sharing our faith and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ that there are things that only God can do. There are things that only God can do. And if you do not understand this, and you get this wrong, and you falsely believe that these things are on you as you share the gospel, you will become discouraged, you will give up, you will not want to do it, you will become angry about it, and you'll be like so many believers who just simply never share the gospel. 
So let's start with the things John proclaims about Christ in this text. He says several things about Jesus when he points other people to Jesus. And the things that he says about Jesus as he's giving his testimony and pointing other people to Jesus reveals to us theological truths about God and about salvation that we have no control or power over. You ready for them? All right, number one. Under number one, letter A. The first thing that John points out when he's talking on the first day, uh, here in chapter one, when the priest and the Levites come to him, he says in verse 20, I am not the Christ. He points to Jesus saying, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Christ is, letter A, he is our Savior, period, our Savior. And that's important when we're talking about sharing the gospel because you are not anyone's Savior, period. You're not their answer. You're not their hope. That's good news for me. Because when I share the gospel, I'm not pointing people to me. I'm actually pointing people away from me, and I'm pointing them to Jesus Christ. And this is what John is doing in the first day, that first paragraph, 19 to 28. He's telling these leaders, I am not the Christ. I am less than. He has come before me. He is Savior, Lord. So, We have to point people to the Savior. I think a lot of times we don't share the gospel because, in fact, we're ashamed of the Savior. I think that's the first thing we have to realize. We don't point people to the gospel because we're ashamed of our Savior. We're ashamed to say that He is the Christ. We're ashamed to say that He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. We're living in this pluralistic age where we want everybody to be right. Nobody's going to hell except Saddam Hussein and Adolf Hitler. And, um, you know, there may even be grace for them, some people say. But that's the mentality the culture wants to give. But we need to be unashamed to point, just like John, to say he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Now, I think about this, and I think about my own experience sharing the gospel. Just last week, the pastors and I were in Jackson at the Mississippi Baptist Convention, and we went out to eat at a restaurant. And it was late Tuesday night, and our waitress was so nice and so friendly and I tend to do this a lot. I always want to know their name, and that's very intentional because I want to talk to them as a human being, not just as a waiter or waitress or service station person or whatever the lingo is these days. I want to talk to them as a person. So I get her name, and we start talking, and she suggests things to eat, and we have a pleasant meal and a pleasant conversation even with our waitress. And she gets comfortable around us towards the end, and she she comes to the table, and she starts telling us about her life and how she used to be addicted to alcohol, but she's gotten away from that, and she's pulled her life together, and she's trying to help her brother who is still in that lifestyle. And she was so proud, so proud to tell us 
I've even started a, 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 a you know, free thing that I do to help people, nonprofit. That's the word I'm looking for. I've started this nonprofit and, and I'm trying to help these people. And she's just so proud of where she's come from and the accomplishments that she's had. And as I listened to her, and she was unashamed, she was absolutely proud of where she come from. It just came out of me because I'm not ashamed. And I said, hey, that, that's great. I'm so thankful that you have come out of alcoholism. But the most important thing is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And she stops, a little shocked, looks at me and says, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And begins to tell me how her grandmother used to take her to some podunk Baptist church and she heard the gospel and she got saved and she walked away from God and we just had a great conversation. But the point is, she was not ashamed to tell me about all the things that she had done. I was not ashamed to talk right back to her about Christ. Now, how many times in our life are we at a restaurant or a Thanksgiving table or we're around friends and they're not ashamed to tell you all the good things that maybe they've accomplished or done or have had happen to them, but yet we never even think. Are we ashamed to just mention the most important thing, Jesus Christ? Well, we shouldn't be ashamed. There's one thing you are not, and that's the Savior. And if you want to accurately witness, point people to the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And be proud about it. Yes, I said proud. I know pride is a sin, but if we boast, according to Galatians, we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, I mean Sunday, uh, here at the Fall Fest serving... And I'm not saying this rudely. I'm not saying it unlovingly. I just want to make this point to you, Christian. I hope you hear me on this over the noise of what I'm about to say. So I see these two guys holding hands with shirts. And the shirts have a clear statement on it. And the shirt says, we're proud. And here they are walking through the trunk or treat line. And they're like in their 20s. And I'm like, what are you doing trunk or treating? But whatever, welcome. And so they're walking through the trunk or treat line, and they're proud. I mean, they're proud. They want you to know. I mean, they know who we are. They know where they are, and they're proud. And, and I'm thankful, number one, everybody loved them. Isn't that great? And everybody welcomed them. Isn't that great? But you know what? They convicted me. They convicted me. I wanted to go talk to them. I'm not ashamed to go talk to them. I wanted to go talk to them, but I never could find them again. And you know, the, the way they convicted me is, I thought, they are so proud of who they are. Are we equally as proud of Christ? Are we equally as proud of Christ? Would we wear a Jesus shirt and, and walk with a Bible down a street at another event? We're not being rude, we're not being angry, we're not being disruptive, but would we do the same thing? I mean, that's a great question, isn't it? The question is, are we ashamed? And if we're ashamed, then the truth is, we don't really see Him as Savior. There's some things you can't do. You cannot save anybody, you are not the Messiah, but you can always point to Him unashamedly. Now let's go to the next thing. Letter B. He is the sole winner. He's the sole winner. 
When I was in seminary, I had good-intentioned men who said, I'm a soul winner. No, you're not. The Holy Spirit wins souls, period. Now, what you are is a postman. And it's your job to deliver the letter, but you don't write the letter, and you have no power of what's in the letter, and you cannot take the responsibility for how they read the letter. You're a postman. I mean, that's all you are, a messenger, an ambassador. So yes, the way you deliver the letter matters. The way you act when you deliver the, the letter matters. You're representing, but, but in ultimate uh, truth, you're a postman, you're not a soul winner. And this is what John points out in the second day. He sees Jesus coming towards him, and um, he says... I did not know him, verse 31, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And there is the word witness again in verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Salvation is your baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates your dead heart, my dead heart, every lost person's dead heart. We don't win anybody, we just give the letter and the Holy Spirit is the one who has the power to win the soul, you see? Now if you don't know that and you don't, you don't realize the, the truth of the Savior, then you're going to be pressured and you're going to be ashamed. But when you realize, no, He's the Savior. He's who I point them to. The Holy Spirit is the one who saves people. I don't save people. I'm just the postman. It takes incredible pressure off of you, and you realize only the things God can do. Well, let her see. He's the answer to sin. He's the answer to sin. I think sometimes we're so confused so confused in what we're saying to people. We think, well, I've got to get it right, and I've got to say all the right things, and I've got to have this presentation. Well, you can do that, and nothing wrong with that, but it's very simple when you share the gospel. Christ comes to save us from sin. Don't be confused by that. And that is exactly what John is saying on the third day. I mean, look at verse 35 and 36. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb of sacrifice in the Old Testament. John knew. Jesus has come to atone for our sin. He has come to cover our sin. And so John was never confused as he gave witness and testimony about Christ to other people. He was very clear. He is the one who clears up our sin. Friday, right before the funeral, Brady and I went out to get lunch before we had to go and minister at a funeral. And we're up by Wolf Chase and we go to a restaurant and I'm always trying to use those moments because I work in a church. 
And I want you to know that I share the gospel. I think it's very important that you know your pastors are sharing the gospel to motivate you to share the gospel. So I'm telling you these intentional stories, and I could tell you more. But we're at this restaurant, you know, because I work around Christians all day, unless, you know, you think the staff isn't. But um, that was a joke. I work around Christians all day, and so it's often hard for me to be out in a workplace where there's unbelievers. So I'll take the restaurant opportunity or the neighborhood opportunity or or whatever chance I get. And so we're at this restaurant and this older man, who you could just tell had had a hard life, he comes to bus our table. And he says, how are you guys today? And I said, well, we're good, thank you. How are you? And he says, man, a year ago I wasn't good. But today, I'm making it. I'm making it. Well, I couldn't just let that go. I said, well, what, what happened a year ago? He said, man, I was, I was living in debauchery and in wickedness, whatever he says. And then he said this. He said, but man, he gets me through every day. So I'm thinking, who's he? And don't assume. It could be Muhammad. It could be Allah. It could be... Moroni from Mormonism, it could be the devil himself. Who gets you through? So I just spat out, yes, yes, I'm going to tell you, Jesus gets me through every day of my life. He says, amen, but I'm not going to stop there. I look at him and I said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He said, man, you know it. You know it. And right there, we we just had a camaraderie of brotherhood. And he said, man, walk with Jesus every day. And I looked back at him and said, some days I don't want to. Good luck with that, he said. Good luck with that. If we're honest, that's how we feel some days. I mean, you can share the gospel wherever you are. But the point is, that man understood, as we were talking, Jesus is the one who rescued me. That's the simple message of the gospel, right? He's the Lamb of God. He takes away our sin. Look at the last thing under number one. He's the fulfillment of Scripture. The last thing that we're told in this text as John is giving testimony, and you see that word over and over again, we're told that Moses was the law, Christ is grace and truth. Moses was the law, Christ is grace and truth. And in other words, He is the fulfillment of Scripture. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. So, if we're ignorant, if we're ignorant of Scripture, then we're not ever going to share our faith. See, there's things that only Jesus can do, only God can do. He's the only one who is their Messiah. He is the only one who is the true soul winner. He is the only one who can atone for sin. And He is the only one who can fulfill Scripture. So, for us... We have to know the Scripture. Many of us don't share the gospel because we're ignorant of truth. We're ignorant of how Christ is the fulfillment of the law. We're ignorant of how Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is our justification. Christ is our salvation. So let me encourage you on this last point. If you're ignorant, be ignorant no longer. You go to a church that will equip you. Coming up this winter, we're doing equipping classes. We are going to help people learn how to share their faith. 
Now, it's not complicated. You don't have to learn an outline. You don't have to know all the answers. Again, you're pointing them to the Savior. You're pointing them to the one who fulfills Scripture. One more story. We get back to our hotel late at night in downtown Jackson, Mississippi last week, and there are four people that honestly look sketchy sitting out in front of our hotel. So we get out of the car. Everybody goes, "Uh uh-oh. When we pull up, it just looks sketchy. We thought, are they going to kill us? Nobody's around. And they're like hanging out up by the building. So we get out, and of course, what am I going to do? How are you guys doing? They're like, not good. Oh, what happened? They tell us their story. They've been locked out of their hotel. They're here from Alabama selling government iPads and telephones. I'm like, how do, how do I get one of those? They're like, once you pay the fee, you never have to pay your bill. I'm like, how do I get one of those? So we talk about that. So they tell me all about their life and what they're doing. And what do I do? I said, well, hey, can I ask you guys, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And the lead guy was so interested in what we were saying. He asked tons of questions. Now, I I didn't have all the answers to give him, and we weren't going to stay there all night. But I'll tell you what we did do. Brandon said, "I, I have a Bible. Can I give it to you? And we give this guy a Bible, and we tell him, read the Gospel of John. And the Holy Spirit will make this make sense to you. And he will lead you and he will guide you because you have a lot of great questions. But we're going to pray that you get saved. And I mean, it was glorious. It was glorious. Now, Brady told me the next day, man, you were, you were definitely out of your element. What would you say about me? I was on something that night or something. I was, I was just sharing the gospel with everybody in Jackson, Mississippi. With you and you and come here, governor, with you. And I mean, we're going to get everybody saved tonight. But that's, that's what you do. I mean, you've got you've to have the scripture. You've got to know the scripture. You can't be ignorant of the scripture. If you are, get equipped. Your church will help you. Because there's things that only God can do. And you've got to know that first going into this. It's the power of God that saves people, not you. But let's go to number two quickly, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. I want to show you what God empowers you to do as you share the gospel. I want to just show you what God empowers you to do, to accomplish. First of all, and this goes back, and we're, we're just kind of looking at all four days as a compendulum together. First of all, we see the word testimony in verse 19, and that is the first way God equips you. You have a testimony. Now, what is a testimony? It is simply not only your story, but you are a witness, like in a court of law. You are sharing what you know, and what you know about Christ. And a testimony, by the way, is always about how he saved you. Nobody cares what bar you went to, what website, or how many people you were with. And if you think that's crude, that's what we hear a lot of times in testimonies. People want to glorify sin. You don't have to do that. You don't have to prove to people that, man, I've been there. I've been to the alley in the red light district. That's not important. What's important is that all have sinned, 
so everybody can relate and all have been saved by the grace of God. And that's what you testify to. You just testify how Christ saved you. And you see John doing this over and over again. I mean, again, look at verse 34. John is talking. He said, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The word testimony is verse 19. The word witness is verse 34. Over and over again, he is giving testimony, pointing to Jesus Christ. So, give your testimony. If you don't have one, understand this. God desires a personal relationship with every one of you listening to my voice. He desires a personal relationship. The beautiful thing about Christianity is not only that God came to a man named Abraham and then Moses and then David and ultimately brought Jesus Christ to earth, He not only came to forgive us of sins, He not only conquered death, but to me, the most glorious news is the creator of the universe, who has much bigger things that He could be preoccupied with, greater galaxies that He could be concerned with, died for a sinner who was a rebel like me. That's amazing to me. Have you ever thought, why would God care about me? Why would he care about my piddly any problems? Your problems are not terrorists in the Gaza Strip. Your issues are not people going hungry tonight and millions dying of disease. But yet God cares about your little issues that are so important to you that on a global scale are almost meaningless. Don't be offended that I said that. It's just true when you think about it. And yet the creator of the universe stooped down in the form of a baby to love you. That is incredible to me. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. It's not just about heaven. It's not just about eternity. It's about a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And that's a testimony. That's the testimony. Now, notice what else. You can be a witness. You can be a witness. We just read verse 34. You go to verse 35. The next day again, John was standing. He looked at Jesus walking by and said, Behold, verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. You see, being a witness, you are, you are, you are pointing, you are directing, you are testifying to somebody else. And that's exactly what we see John doing here in the text. Again, you're a postman. You're a postman, and you carry a letter of hope. I'm often leery of talking about movies because most of them are trash, and you shouldn't watch them. They don't do good for you, but I love weird movies. One movie that was one of my favorites long ago was with Kevin Costner, and it's called The Postman, and it's set in a dystopian America future, which is weird. And I like that kind of stuff. But the whole premise of the movie, I was trying to explain this to the the pastors this week because I was telling them, you know, we're talking about witnessing and really we're just the postman. It's like that movie and they're like, what are you talking about? 
And in this movie, Kevin Costner stumbles upon an old mail truck in a war-torn, devastated America. The mail truck had long ago run off the road, and the mailman inside of it had left his bag of letters, and who knows. And Costner, like, finds these letters, and he finds a uniform, and he decides what he's going to go do in the pockets of civilization that are left is he's going to imitate a mailman. And so he goes to these little settlements, and he's just trying to get food. And they're like, what do you want, and who are you, and why should we let you in? And he says, well, I'm a postman. I'm like, what are you talking about? America is gone. No, I'm a postman. And so he starts reading these letters to these people, and it gives them hope. Some of them say, that, that was... That was my sister who, who died 20 years ago. That letter was to her. And he reads the letter and somebody is given hope. And other people say, that was my neighbor. I, I know who that was. And it reminds them of better days and it gives them hope. And the whole story is, is that this guy starts back up the Pony Express and delves out hope to people just by delivering letters. Now as weird and sci-fi crazy as that is, that's really a great image of what we're to do as a witness. You're just the postman. Go and deliver the letter and give them hope. Deliver the letter and give them hope. Listen, I've heard some of you, and I'm not saying this correctively, but I want to be clear about this. Some people have said, I've heard this from at least two different people. They've said, look, we think it's great all these people join in our church, but we need to see people saved. Well, I, I agree with you. But who's going to do that? I mean, you can't lay that on your three pastors. You have to go and deliver the message and share the gospel. If you think there's not enough people getting saved, then be a witness. Be a witness. And go share the gospel. You can do it at your restaurant today. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it around the table. You can do it with your friends at work. You can do it with your clubs and your hobbies. Share the gospel. Letter C, you can give direction. Direction. Look at verse 41 and verse 45. After these disciples of John followed Jesus, that was Andrew and Peter, what did they do? Verse 41 says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Look down at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What do they do when they hear the news that this is the Messiah? They tell other people. Who do they tell? The people closest to them. Do they go door to door in Galilee and knock on the door and say, Hello, I'd like to ask you two questions. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? No, they, they go to the people that they know. They go to the people in their sphere of influence. And what do they do? With excitement, they just share. They point. They give direction. Lastly, letter D, you can communicate hope. You can communicate hope. Because what we see in the very last day is that these people, Philip and Nathaniel, and so many others are given hope in the very last paragraph on the very last day. 
Jesus says, you'll see more than what you've already seen. Are you amazed by this? That I called you out under a fig tree? Oh, you'll be amazed by so much more. Come and follow me. Come and see. And that's exactly what we can do with other people. We can give them hope. I want to end with this story about a church member at my former church who just took it upon herself to unashamedly share the gospel. Dana Bickley was a school counselor at a public school in Lufkin, Texas. Just weeks before she would meet this one particular family who would come in sharing their problems with her, she had miscarried two twin babies and it devastated she and her husband Adam. They were just heartbroken. Why would God allow this? What's his purpose in the loss of my twins? And yet God always takes those things that are bad and he turns them into good. So a few weeks after her miscarriage, she's sitting in her public school office as a guidance counselor of an elementary school. And this family walks in that's just full of problems. The Lopez family. And they've got five kids and they live in this tiny apartment and they're frustrated and life's not going well and they're trying to get their kids in school and grades aren't coming along and the wife Teresa just opens up to Dana and says I'm, I'm just so sorry I'm just sorry we just lost our baby we had a miscarriage now Dana didn't say <clears throat> Uncle Sam says that I do not have freedom of speech at my job so I'm so sorry you lost your baby no she didn't she didn't say that she said can I just share with you my story of how Jesus has healed my heart after the loss of my twins. And Dana just shared the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ with this family. Do you know that that mom and dad and several of those kids came to Christ through that guidance counselor's testimony and witness and direction and hope? They came to our church and were baptized and for years served faithfully at our church until God called them to go and work in the city of Austin. And today they're at a church, and Dana and Adam are still at the old church I pastored, and they're still sharing the gospel. She's now a principal. And I share that story because when people in the church just took it upon themselves to share what had impacted them the most, Christ, we saw incredible transformation. It was not in a Tuesday night class. We did not go over the five points of how to share Jesus without fear. We did not give her an outline to memorize. Now, you can do all those things, and they're good, they're not bad, but I'm just telling you, when the body caught it and they started seeing that they are a witness and they are a testimony and God can use them, we saw the church transformed. Now, here's my challenge to you. Do you see your role that way? I mean, some of us work in a Christian school that will not fire you if you share the gospel. And you should never assume anyone is saved. Share the gospel with all your students. Share it over math. Trust me, they're praying to God that they'll pass the test. Say, well, do you know the God you're praying to? Because that might help. 
at work. There's people around you. Share the gospel in the neighborhood, at the restaurant. Listen, you have a testimony. Can we get a witness? Can we get a witness? Yes. Yes. And I pray you do. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word. We pray, Lord, that you'll use it in our life personally, that we will walk out of here and see our role as missionaries, see our role as people sharing, see our role as people who have a testimony to point to you. Use us. Give us moments. Give us opportunities. I pray for every believer in here that they have an opportunity this week to speak to somebody about Jesus Christ, and I pray they'd be unashamed, and I pray they'd be prepared, and I pray they'd be ready, and they'd be confident pointing them to you. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's an unbeliever that they would come to Christ today, that they would see that you desire a personal relationship with them and that they would come to Jesus who is the door, who is the key, who is the gate to that personal relationship. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. And we all said amen. Stand with us. We're gonna just sing, Lord, I need you. If you need to come, you come. We have people here who will counsel you and love you and pray with you. And we're always available, okay? Let's sing, Lord, I need you. Would you sing it out?